Welcome back to the Huxley Morton podcast. This week we are back again with another episode focused on mental health and the impact of mental health in the workplace. Um, with that in mind, it's worth noting that this is a safe space uh, and that all experiences and opinions shared are exactly that. They're personal opinions and no way intended to be a medical uh, device. Um, or advice, should I say. Um, but look, joining me on the show uh, this week, we have Adam Walker. Um, and as a co-host and a guest um, is Mr. Stuart McCulley. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, James, for having me. It's nice to be on the receiving end of some questions for a change <laughs> than asking them. Indeed, I think. indeed. Well, I'm sure that Stu and I will have plenty of questions um, for you. But yeah, look, I guess before we kick off, uh, I just want to say thanks very much for, for offering to jump on a show like this. Um, it's a topic that is so prevalent in the world today. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of people will be getting value from these mental health focused shows. So um, look, if you could give us, um, I'm sure that a lot of people that tune in regularly will know who you are, what you do, but if you can give us a, a very quick overview of yourself and just talk us through your general background prior to and your experience and challenges with mental health, if you will, please, um, Adam. So firstly, I wanted to say thank you for the opportunity, James, and, and Stuart as well. I know, you know, we've we've had plenty of conversations, the three of us before. This is a great platform. Podcasting is a tremendous platform with which we can share ideas and experiences. And I think to have provided that platform, James, is, is really critically important. But on this topic, which is something so close to my heart as well, I think, you know, this is terrific. So just to just to give you a little bit of background to myself, um, I've been working in, in clinical, clinical research for the last 25 years, both in CROs, contract research organizations and pharmaceutical companies. My primary focus has been in and around data collection, biometrics, electronic data capture. And I've worked overseas for many big pharmaceutical companies. I've worked in the UK and I support uh, a number of different companies at the moment in my role as an independent consultant, which I've been doing for the last six or seven years. Mm. Um, so I'll start by talking about a little bit, a little bit of my, you know, my journey, my my background in <laughs> in mental health. Well, we've all got mental health. Let's let's be clear from from the from the get go. We're all born, we're all born into this world with with uh, a backstory, and and my story of mental health, as I as I think I've I've alluded to before, you know, it starts in the child. You know, I learned a long time ago that um, childhood is where some of those deepest thoughts, experiences, and um, labels that we give ourselves started for me. Now, dare I say, it, I was different. And the reason I was different was because, and full disclosure here, and I have nothing to hide at all. So I was, I am Jewish, and I was the only Jewish boy in an entirely Catholic primary and entirely Catholic secondary school. So if you read between the lines of that, I was different in that respect. Now, it wasn't the color of my skin, and it wasn't particularly in the clothes that I wore, because it just was who I am and who I was. Mm. And I've always been very active in that area. And I was never backward in coming forward with the fact that this was my, my faith. And, you know, it gave me access to an education that I wouldn't have had otherwise if I weren't a practicing Jew. Mm -hmm. And yet it became the stick with which I was often hit with quite literally and metaphorically as well. So I was always different from that respect. And that's what I remember being, being a child in uh, a Catholic primary school. You know, everyone else was going up and receiving the host and doing their first Holy Communion when I wasn't. I wasn't going up to the front and I wasn't being blessed by the vicar or the priest or the, um, you know, the head of the church. I just wasn't. I sat in my seat and I watched and I listened. And, um, you know, I didn't say the same prayers as other people did. So I was already different. That was the point. I was different. And I recognized that. And it wasn't a problem for me. You know, it was never a problem for me. It seemed to be more of a problem for other people. And overlaying that with the fact that I was also pretty high functioning, you know, academically, I was high functioning. I was also very good sporting wise. So I was always in, you know, the football team, the rugby team, whatever team there was. Mm. And at the same time, I happened to be, you know, near the top of the class for most subjects. So there were plenty of reasons why people wouldn't have liked me. I was going to say, the just recalling school days, I guess, 
yeah, there's a lot of people, there's a, a bit of jealousy eeks in there. You know, you're, you're academic yeah. and you're sporting. It's kind of the, the dream combination, isn't it? I mean, I kind of maybe had the, the sporting side of things. The academic, I was always a C student, you know, so it was like, oh, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I can see where people would want to knock you off a pedestal almost. Well, yes. <clears throat> and, 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 and dare I say it, you know, I don't think I particularly uh, reveled in those labels. I just accepted them for what they were. Mm. Um, so, so that was my background. I mean, my background as a child was that. So I went through the whole school system being different. And then when my sister also came to the same primary school, she's four years younger than me, I then put my arm around her and looked after her for the same reasons that I wanted to protect her. And so she didn't have the same experience as me. Mm. So we, we've, we've always kind of followed, you know, she's traveled a similar path to me in, in that respect. And uh, there was a protective element of that. And it, you know, it never really went away. I think I just gained coping strategies and mechanisms by which I seemed to be able to manage these things. And I, I, you know, I wouldn't say I was bullied, but I was certainly identified as being different. And there were plenty of occasions when both, you know, academically and, and, and personally, that those differences were highlighted. So, Adam, do you think you suffer from PTSD? That's a great question. It's a great question. I'll tell you why it's a great question, because I was actually talking to someone who is uh, working currently in the British uh, services, who has been setting up a podcast yeah. at the moment. And we've been talking about possibly getting me involved in that. He's someone I've, I've known for some time and we communicate regularly and he's doing a podcast on PTSD. And I said to him at the time, I don't think I've ever experienced PTSD, <laughs> but actually you've just identified that I have. So there's my answer. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, the only reason I asked the question is a psychologist said to me years ago, you're suffering from PTSD. And at no point did I acknowledge that. And as you spoke, it just, resonated yeah no I, I, th I think you, you you make an amazing point there I don't dwell on it very much anymore and and the other thing I wanted to say is I've lived my life as a you know as a participative Jew and yet at the same time that religion hasn't necessarily defined me I don't tell people for example James you wouldn't know I, I had I don't, no, no idea and I speak I, to you Every single week. I, I don't met, tell people. You know, it's, yeah. it's not something I tell. If someone knows me, they know it. And mm. you know me, so you know it now, James. Mm. And the point is that, you know, my nearest and dearest friends and family, of course, know it. And I'm very active and I speak and read and write Hebrew. And oh. I always have. I always have. And, and this, is, this is a superpower, let me tell you. It because is. from the it earliest is. age, I, I learned language and I learned the importance of language, yeah. but also a different alphabet. It's a completely different alphabet. It goes from yeah. right to left. I read from the scroll. I read from the scripture. I did my bar mitzvah, yeah. my confirmation. And my wife and I, when she wasn't my wife, uh, we went to Israel and we lived in, in Israel mm. on Kibbutz for, for nine months after we graduated. So I've lived there and I've seen the value of that language as a living language, not just a historical Old Testament language. Wow. So that's the context. Yeah. And I think it's really important that you understand that context of, of the me and the motivation and the who. Yeah. So look, on, with, with that in mind then, I guess, do you think that, I guess with your own challenges with, with mental health, that that is where they stem from? Is it this, you know, the, the PTSD? Because I, th I think certainly for me, probably a bit of ignorance. Anytime I hear that term, I associate it with army, military and kind of big traumatic events of that sort. Um, but Stu, you have kind of identified that actually that it can be in other um, areas or situations. So, yeah, to revert back to yourself Adam do you think that this is kind of how your own challenges come about or when did you first recognize that because initially you said that you weren't overly fussed or phased about um any of these things so when did you when did it um any challenges first come about how did it come about well this is the interesting thing it, it's it's always been there during my educational life it was always there mm. and it kind of became less of an issue in my teens when I went to secondary school because I got in with a crowd of people who didn't seem to have an issue with it and and there was a much broader collection of individuals that I identified with 
So yeah. I just associated with the people that I identified with better than in a class of 30. You know, there was there were 400 people to choose my friends from rather than 30. So I left the ones behind that I didn't particularly enjoy spending time with, many of whom came to the secondary school. And I had a different collection of friends because we were being streamed based upon our uh, capabilities. And, and of course, there was sport overlaid with that. So there was popularity that came from being involved in the sports teams as much as there was in being in different streams for whichever subjects, you know, English, maths, sciences, which I particularly excelled in. But that wasn't, that wasn't the thing, you know, that was not the thing. That was not the thing that gave me my big outpouring. The big mm. thing for me was actually many, many years later. So what happened to me and how this happened for me was I'd had a very busy, hectic, career and my wife and I had children and they were very young and I was working very long hours I was commuting to London every day to a clinical trial unit in southwest London and working very long hours and I was the primary breadwinner and at that point we decided that we were going to move and find a bigger house and of course we did that and we effectively doubled tripled our mortgage overnight and this was in 2008 Okay, so right. so we took a we took a big jump on the back of yeah. me already being fairly fried, and at that point, I was also not just at my probably uh, peak peak performance work wise, I was also running marathons and triathlons <laughs> and getting very little sleep and really really thinly spread. I mean, I can't even describe how thinly spread I was. When I look back now, I can barely even identify with that person. Never mind the fact that I was about 30 kilograms lighter. But the fact was, you know, I ran four London marathons back to back when my kids were very very young. You know, very young. Go ahead, Stuart. I think you've got a question, haven't you? What were you running from? Great question. I was always running. And my other friend, one of my friends has asked me that before. Yeah, runners run away from things. And I was. I was running away from the, the busyness of life. And that time when I was running, I was in a different headspace. I never ran and listened to music. I never really timed myself. I just did a figure of eight loop. And it could have been 10, 12, 14, 16 miles. But in that time, I didn't have to worry about changing nappies. I didn't have to worry about putting the bins out, do anything else, worry about work. It was just my time. And I would go for two, two and a half hours and just so, another question. Do that. Go ahead. Were you punishing yourself? Was I punishing myself? I don't think I was. When I was you were genuinely running to an extreme. I, I, I think was I, thinking... just, I just got to a flow state where <clears throat> oh. I was in my best clear. Yeah flow state that's really what i experienced in that see my my mind was going the other way there uh Stuart. i was thinking it was clearly offering an outlet of perhaps escapism yeah. from Hoping everything else yeah kind of life was life was crazy and busy mortgage and, and bills babies hectic work work life kind of you know the the running was kind of you were running away but actually you headspace wise was that kind of the escapism to actually that was your it was the only me time. It was the only me time. That's exactly what it was. And, and I have talked about that with many friends since and during the time. It was the only headspace I had. It was the only me time I ever had, other than sitting in a car commuting when I was absolutely knackered. Oh. So I'd be, you know, I'd be leaving the house at half five in the morning, yeah. getting up to southwest London, Wimbledon, going to the gym before work, running yeah. with a, a group of friends or doing a spin class, and then being at my desk at eight in southwest London. Can you imagine? And then getting home about seven, eight o'clock, completely frazzled. Adam, there's so many resonances here because I used to get up at 4 a.m. and I would do uh, my training. And then I would read some Spurgeon sermons, the Puritans, and then I would go to work. So this, yeah, wow. Wow, sorry. Away long, long, Just, no, 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 but you're yeah. right. Long, really long days. And, and what, yeah. I, what I experienced and, and what really happened to me, I think, was... Well, I had I had a, a physical and mental breakdown on the back of nervous exhaustion. But here's how it happened. So on one particular day, we, we you know, we'd moved we'd moved to our house in the country where we live now, and we've lived here for 13 years now. And 
there was one particular day and and on that one particular day something really well several things happened on that same particular day um i was approached by my employer at the time who should remain nameless and effectively they sent me an email I was being managed by a company in the states i had a line manager in the states they sent me an email saying basically we want to put you on a development plan because we're not happy with your performance okay that was point one point one okay so i'd taken off yeah. taken on the double triple mortgage two and a half times mortgage then i got that and then i had a phone call from my mum and my mum said um your dad's been taken ill uh we're up at the hospital in 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 our local hospital he's had a stroke he's had a series of tias we think he's had a stroke can you get yourself up there okay so that's the second one and the third thing that happened on the same day we had an email from my daughter's primary school to say that there had been an episode with her and another child at the school that was very questionable. So these three things happened wow. on the same day. And then here's what happened. This was how it all played out. So I got into the car and I drove from my house to the, the nearest hospital where my dad was. And as I was driving, there was several bends in the road and there was a big big tree a big big tree and i speeded up and i drove towards that really really big tree yeah and just at the point at which i was going to drive into the tree i turned away from the tree continued driving to the road got to the hospital got out the car went into the hospital and walked down the corridor into um hayward heath hospital as is and when I got to my, the room where I'd been directed where my dad was, I went into the room and there was no one in there and the bed wasn't there. So what do you think I thought? He's dead. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, shit, yeah. I'm too late. Yeah. It, he's gone. He's gone. I've missed. I, 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 I didn't get here enough. I didn't get here. So, so here's what happened. I actually had a physical... I had my first and most incredible panic attack that I've, I own, you know, I've, I've had panic attacks since, but I had, I had what I thought was a heart attack. So wow. at that point, my fingers, everything went stiff. Yeah. My fingers, my toes, I hyperventilated. I literally keeled over onto the floor and I was foaming at the mouth. I just was completely out of body. I thought I was having a heart attack. I had shooting pains down my arm, through my chest, the more I the more I breathed the more panicked I became and um, my mum came down the corridor she'd seen me walk into the door she saw me in this state she called a nurse mm. they gave me <clears throat> they gave me some oxygen and stabilized me what turns out was my my dad had gone down the corridor and they'd been running you know these um they'd done a ct scan on his brain yeah. so he'd just been passed down the corridor he'd had a ct scan they brought him back in and there was me on the bed in the next room, completely out cold, with oxygen mask, being taken to A and E. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but you know, I can. No, I can but it, I mean, it's yeah. it's comical if not, you know, if yeah. if not for for the reality of it. But this is what happened to me, and I'm mm. telling you this because this could happen to anyone. Yeah. Three big things happened to me already yeah. when I was very thinly spread. Okay, yeah. and I had this physical outpouring in a panic attack. That day was the last day I worked for the next 18 months, believe it or not. So I was, I was in A&E, I was in A&E and being effectively calmed down. I think they gave me some medication intravenously to calm me down and to, to get my breathing good and better. And then a, a priest walked down through the corridor and he came and sat next to me and he said, are you okay? What's going on? You don't seem to be very well. And we had this conversation and I just was talking to him through tears and I just mm -hmm. said, I just, I just don't know what's going on in my life. I, I, I can't cope. I, it's too much. It's too much. It was like my brain was just saying, it's full. It was full. Nervous Physically, brain. emotionally, yeah. on every level, I was full. I couldn't cope with any more. And um, that day was in 2009. And, and my life changed forever that day. Wow. Funny. You know, so, you know, I, 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 I will just, so, yeah, I, Adam, I can so relate and thank you for sharing. 
Uh, what made me laugh is I've lived here 13 years and I moved up here because of a nervous breakdown. Um, I had exactly the same kind of experiences. So I also know how difficult it is to share these things. And it also goes down the line of how when we met, we knew. You That's what see. I said to you. That's what I said to you. You can see, you can see, yeah. you know, someone who suffered, you know, the yeah. language of suffering. And, and, and this is what I wanted to say as well, James, and, and to our listeners is that you never know when these things are going to happen. I didn't follow the, you know, whatever that, that normal path is. I never thought myself as someone with anxiety or depression, but boy, oh boy, did I experience it on that day? And did I, have I lived with it ever since? Yes. And, and as a result of that, not, so there were, there were a couple of, outcomes from that day mm. firstly i never went back to that same place of work secondly as part of my exit package they had to pay for a year's worth of health care for me so i was an out i was actually an inpatient at, at, a, at a an institute in hove the priory i went to i went to hove priory for a, a month and i stayed there and i didn't leave good. for a month good good and i had amazing care and amazing yeah. treatment and and medication, you know, I was medicated. I was highly medicated. They get put me on some very, very strong medication. Um, I can mention them. You know, there was, I was on Seroquel, which was, which was the the daily antidepressant. And then they gave me this thing called quetiapine, which was the thing that got me to sleep at night. But it literally knocked me sideways, and it made me feel very peculiar. And then, and then they gave me diazepam as a kind of prophylactic in case I felt any any anxiety or, you know, ongoing. Um, groundswell but what i found from that medication was it just numbed me it just turned everything down turned the noise down on the emotion i couldn't feel anything i couldn't feel burning heat anything and i just get these buzzing around my body at the time it was mm. a very very strange altered I, I state. i was gonna ask adam i guess yeah how was it at um the priory in terms of look medication aside whether that you know the type of structure kind of how you felt almost being in that environment because again prior to that you probably would not have ever pictured yourself in such an environment so it how, came from nowhere how, it was how, my, how was it, it it was my safe space to be quite frank and, and i talk about safe space and i talked to you about safe space before we came on the call you know mm. it was my safe space i knew i was safe and would be looked after and they would turn off anything that was in any way going to damage me or create anything that felt like anxiety again because I've been living with anxiety and I didn't know that's what it was I didn't know that was the name of it I had this knot in my, my diaphragm that I could not shift for literally years wow and that was anxiety and I only knew it was anxiety when I got the medication and it went away yeah yeah that's why I'm talking about the language of yeah. mental health and mental illness is we don't know what we're dealing with until no. I until someone gives it a name or they say, well, hang on a minute. You know, the things that you were doing that you thought were normal. Well, guess what? People don't feel that. And people don't do those things unless there are these factors that are at play here. Mm. So, you know, to, to your question about the priory, it was my safe space. And, and actually, for me, it was great. For my wife, it was terrible. You know, she, yeah. she had two young children to look, look after. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't happy about it, to be quite frank. She'd mm. say it now, you know, she's... <laughs> it wasn't a great time for her it was no. definitely my safe space but i was just turning down the volume <laughs> on my life and there was too much going on uh, and i couldn't cope with it so it, it won't it won't help but all i can say is my wife had the same response adam mm. so you know and james for those of us that suffer this the family suffer more I agree. I absolutely because agree. They don't. They don't understand, and I wouldn't want them to understand. No. And 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 here's how that then played out. So so over the course of that 18 months, I was an inpatient for a month. I then continued to go as an outpatient twice a week, mm -hmm. and I went to um, therapy sessions where we talked a lot, and I did lots of yoga and mindfulness and the kind of things that we talk about. You know. So are you flexible? Are you flexible? Not particularly, no. I've got really tight oh, cars. I was say, you know, too much running. 
<laughs> my, my glutes are like rocks. Right. They don't yeah. move. They just don't move. because as, you, as you're trying to crack your legs over for the yoga. Sorry. You know, this is, it doesn't, this it is doesn't what we work. do. This is, this is, this is a defence mechanism for people in our situation. We joke. Sorry. <laughs> it, it, it's true. It's, it's, he said he, he did yoga. That's maybe not one of his sporting prowesses was the yoga side of things, eh? No. I'm, my lower back is, is not conducive to, to stretching very much, but there we go. But, but the one other thing I wanted to say to you, in that time, I identified my three dearest and closest friends, mm. mates, who have been there for me and who are my team. And 13 years later, they were my, you know, my best man, Jim, and my two best friends, Luke and Stu, and other Stu. And they were my, you know, they were absolutely my, my yeah. rocks. And yeah. they have been ever since. And we have been rocks for one another. And until it happened, I didn't realise really what I needed from my friends. And what I needed was just support without judgment. And mm -hmm. if you speak to, if you were to speak to any of them, they would say, I was the last person they would expect this to happen to. Even now, when I talk yeah. to Luke, Yes. You know, when I talk to Luke about it regularly, or, or Jim or Stu, they don't believe that I was the guy that this was going to happen to. This was never yeah. going to be me. I'm not that guy. It's always the way. It is the rock. It is the person that is so strong. It is the person that everyone relies on, that nothing could happen to. That is the person, male or female, that breaks. I thought I was bulletproof and what this showed me was I, I was not and that I needed to change things and what I changed was really my boundaries I have boundaries now and and I really do understand what makes me tick and what doesn't make me tick and it took mm -hmm. me many years to get off medication I was on medication for seven seven years mm -hmm. and I desperately wanted to get off medication because during that period of time I put a huge amount of weight I wasn't physically active. I ate the wrong things. I just generally didn't look after myself. You know, I'm not looking at you now, Stuart, at all. I'm really not. And I'm making no judgment. But, but as I say, you know, I, I went from a marathon runner of 75 kilos to a, you know, a very sedentary individual of nearly, you know, over 90 kilos. And, and I didn't like the person I'd become physically. I didn't identify with the person I saw in the mirror. And yet this was the only person I could be to get through this period of my life. To then rebuild, but you've changed that. You've changed that. You are now happy with yourself. I say happy. Are you happy with yourself? I've, I've never been happier. To be quite frank, I have never. And if you speak to any one of my my rocks, Jim, Luke, and Stu, they would say they've never seen me in a better mental, physical state. And there are some, you know, some real reasons for that. And I, I'm sure you're going to, you know, go on and ask me questions around that, James. I was going to say, yeah, that's, I guess, good to hear that you are present day you know I, I always think that you are very open kind of what you see is what you get and um, you're always very positive you're always very active with yeah kind of everything that you and I do together um, but look I guess with that is there ongoing challenges that you have to where you have to check yourself or anything like that whether it's um, with any you know, supplements, uh, medication, routines, habits, um, all of the above. Yes. Um, that you now have a new uh, kind of, because you clearly had one self-image of yourself as the, the athlete, the runner, the academic, the, you know, the, the massive success. And then you pictured yourself at that higher weight and you were like, this is not me. And you've clearly, you've done something about it and you, to an extent, reinvented um yourself and created a new self-image but how do you now maintain that with yeah all of all of those things i mentioned it's an amazing question and and, and i can tell you categorically it's about having done the work and and Stuart and i we've talked about doing the work knowing yourself i've spent enormous amounts of time in therapy sessions talking about the things that created those uncertainties those anxieties I'm very comfortable with who I am these days. I mentioned about the inner child. I mentioned about you know my experiences as as a as a student in in primary and secondary school. I'm so comfortable in my own skin. I've never been more comfortable in my own skin, and I have the language with which I can describe and talk about these things. And this is what my friends and my family, certainly my sister, and my parents would talk about. And I haven't also mentioned you know my dad. God bless him. He's still with us today. He wow. made an incredible thumbs recovery. Thumbs up for that man. Good Fantastic. stuff. 
God bless him. Um, he, you know, my mum is his primary carer and, and life has never been the same since. But I tell you what, we all appreciate as a family what's important and what's important is the people closest to us. Mm. And that's what I do every single day. I stay close to my family. I talk to the people that matter to me the most and I share. I don't overshare, but I share. I share my thoughts. I share my feelings. I share my emotions. And some people might find that overbearing at times, but actually... I find that's what works for me because I have the language with which to connect to people that I couldn't do before. And it's almost re given me another superpower, a superpower to listen and hear other people in our podcast. You know, we talked to some incredible people. There was always a connection there because I listen. I listen for the words and I listen for the actions that go with those. Mm. But I have a set of skills and tools now with which I can face life and not be in that catastrophic headspace where everything's spinning out and nothing makes sense. I've made sense of it. And here's what I learned from that experience. I went back into, you know, into a career, never thinking I would ever be able to perform at that high level again. Genuinely, I took a contract. I had no idea I'd be able to, to go there. My wife drove me to the interview. I couldn't even sit in a car for more than 10 minutes. I was having panic attacks driving to the end of the road. Mm. I couldn't answer the phone. I couldn't answer the door. Every time a post, some a postman came to the door and delivered a letter, I thought it was going to be a catastrophic letter. I was just in a catastrophic headspace. So to build back from that period of time, you know, aligned with my dad improving, coming home, us all addressing and changing our lifestyle mm. choices, my kids growing up, you know, my daughter's mm. nearly 19, my son's 17 now. We've wow. been through, and my wife, God bless her, is the most patient soul that there ever has been, you know, and we have had enormous challenges as a family in every level, you know, this, this, this touches everyone that you touch. So what's, so, what's worked and what, what hasn't for, for you in, in your opinion? Look, we spoke to, to Stu recently about kind of his mechanism that he employs and, you know, other stuff that hasn't perhaps worked for him. What's, what are your go-to um the, yeah what works what what doesn't um adam for, for yourself I, I make sure every single day i leave the house i walk i've got two dogs i'm looking over my shoulder one of them sat by me i have two dogs and i walk them every day i used to have three sadly honey passed away in the last year but you know i walk every day i get physical active physical activity walking and talking i listen to podcasts when i'm walking and that's where i do my best thinking mm. and i just take every step in its own right so I don't I try not to overthink things and I try not to overburden myself so you know we talk about the impact that the COVID and the pandemic has had on our lives it's actually made things simpler for me because it means I don't have to go out and pretend or be sociable when I don't want to be I, yeah. I, you know I'm quite happy I, I like my home I really like my home I love my family as you might gather I want to spend as much time as I can with my my son and daughter because in, in, in a little over a year or two, they're not going to be here with us. So I want to spend as much time as I can with them. So the fact that we were locked down and we couldn't do the things was fine. You know, mm. as I say, I'm very comfortable here in my safe place, in my safe space. And, and when I focus, I do something and I do it to the best of my ability. I don't overthink it. I just, I can't deal with yeah. overthinking. I just yeah. keep things simple. Keep it very, very simple and keep routine. Sleep regularly take the same sleep every day. I haven't drunk alcohol for over two years now, James. You know, there's right. a reason for that. That's a whole nother podcast of its own. But I tell you what, alcohol was not helping me. Mm. That's a nice cup of tea you got there, Stuart. Mm. <laughs> it's lovely. But alcohol did not help me. It was, you know, it was, it, it is a depressant and it depressed me. And so therefore, since I've stopped drinking alcohol, the clarity of my brain and my power of thinking is extraordinary the quality of my sleep is so much better and the action that i'm able to perform every day is on a whole different level to anything i've experienced in my life before i can't so, i can't describe it any any better than that adam just imagine there are so many people out there that are in a similar position that you have been in with the whole anxiety the the issues the just about to be a nervous breakdown what is your advice to them well here's what i here's what i say to people around me when i see the early signals or the early warning signs if i feel and see someone who i think is 
spreading themselves thinly, I will tell them to simplify. What I always say to anyone who's struggling is just simplify. If you're overthinking it and you're overburdening yourself, you're filling up your calendar, you know, you've got to be here, you've got to be there, your kids are here, something else is there. We've got this play date, we've got that play date. We need to see my parents, we've got to do this roast, we've got to go to that pub. I'm just like, wipe out your calendar, simplify. Turn the volume down, shut the door, look after yourself. Be good to yourself and be kind to yourself because ultimately no one else is going to do that for you. If you can't look after yourself, don't expect anything else to work because it just doesn't. That is so true because everyone always wants a piece of your time, don't they? And everyone, again, exactly. everyone's the center of their own universe. And it's like, oh, well, if you, you could just do this, it only takes you a couple of minutes. It's like, yes, I know it only takes a couple of minutes. However, there's a couple of minutes here, there, and a hundred times over. And I think you're right. Sometimes you do just have to almost put that barrier up and pay it, yourself the power of when boundaries. it comes to, 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 to self-care. It's the power of boundaries. Yes, you're mm. right, James. And, and you know, I, I need to give you credit at this point because, you know, I could quite easily not have been a co-host with you on the, on the Huxley Morton podcast. And yet it has given me so much pleasure and joy. And the reason I reached out to you in the first place after you interviewed me was because I wanted to challenge myself and I like to get out of my comfort zone. And I felt this was a positive platform with which I could have a voice i have a voice as you might gather you know you know me very well now james and Stuart. Mm. i think you know me also very well okay, i have a voice all, and i want also, to use that voice you do also get me asking for a hell of a lot of your time <laughs> so it's and not that's just fine, a couple of I'll, minutes is it <laughs> i will give you my time james because you're doing great things and i you wouldn't do anything if i didn't enjoy it that's the point i'm trying to make here i wouldn't be here today doing this if i didn't enjoy what i'm doing and giving this time willingly because, you know, these conversations are transformative yes. for me from a selfish point of view, but I know they're transformative for the people that will listen to this, whether it's friends, family, extended yeah. colleagues. You know, yeah. I have an enormous network of professional connections on, on LinkedIn and through various platforms, and they will never, many of them will never know these things until mm. they've listened to this. And it may well change their perspective on me, but also their colleagues, their friends, their family, and perhaps open up a conversation that wouldn't have happened before. And if I do that for one person, then that's enough for me. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. So a uh, phrase for you, Adam. Uh, and yes. it's a phrase that has resonated with me for the last couple of years. Broken people. Mm -hmm. I, I do believe there are, and this is how we met, because we literally, you see it in each other's eyes. You totally. can see a broken person. Uh, and to me, that's not a negative thing. You know, these are people that have been broken by uh, nervous breakdowns, anxiety, depression, etc. But these are people that has, have travailed through the suffering to success. What would your advice be to these kind of people i think you you know there, there is no shortcut out of this you've got to recognize that if you're feeling fried you're re, you're feeling that for a reason and when i have been at my worst i didn't recognize that i was just spinning out i was in a tailspin i couldn't see anything i was huddled up on the sofa with a hood over my head i was just incoherent so when you're in that really, really low functioning, low mental state, you can't see the wood for the trees. You just can't see it. All you see is dark, black, depression. And yet, this is where I, this is, this is what I would say, you know, there is a path out of there because I think I'm living proof that you can work your way through these things and with the right tools and with the right support. You know, I, as I say, my friendship network is small but it is exactly who I want it to be. And my family is absolutely the most important thing to me. I couldn't, you know, and I, and I, I knew that before, but I know it more today than I've ever known it because without them, I, I don't have a purpose anyway. So, you know, what are we here for, for goodness sake? You know, what are we here for? That's all, that's all this is about. Yeah. And, and as I say, you know, it's just about, providing providing that reinforcement to people who perhaps don't even see it you know it's recognizing just those little triggers for me i know when i'm getting overburdened because i've just 
I've filled my diary up. I'm doing too many things. And, you know, there's just no downtime. It, it's downtime that we need. It's, it's headspace. It's reflective time. You know, my best thoughts and my best actions come from reflection. And that for you, I know, is nature, Stuart. For me, is nature, 100%. It's walking and talking with my wife. It's listening to wonderful podcasts that just give me that perspective that I didn't have. I think to pitch in with my two cents there, I guess, look, talking of, of broken people, again, often what's broke can be fixed, you know, to an extent, you know, and I guess both of you are living proof of that, that actually if you recognize it, if you go and speak to someone, as Stu has previously uh, said to us, if you seek advice, there is a way out of, you know, kind of that, that rock bottom feeling. So I guess just take refuge in, in that fact is, is kind of what I would encourage do the right thing. Any, any, anyone, anyone to do is for, and take the advice that you do two right have both shared. Stop the negative behaviors, you know, yeah. When, when you're when you're when you're fried stop the negative behaviors because yeah. they do not feed a positive outcome and and i think you know if i can just pick up on your point about broken people i think i once experienced being broken i don't think i'm broken anymore i think i'm the best version of myself i've ever been and and i don't say that you know i don't say that with any ego whatsoever i am entirely humble i am grateful for every opportunity that has come my way and continues to come my way because I feel I'm connecting and working with people who understand me and get me and want to be around me because they see the positivity that I can share. And, you know, that's really all I, all I'm, all I'm after in, in this. Fantastic to hear Adam. And I know that you and I speak so regularly and yeah, you are always very positive. So look, what are your, your plans for, you know, maintaining that level of, positivity and mental state that you've managed to, to get yourself in now um, so, you know what's 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 next on the card more of the same or is there anything new and radical I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and, and you asked me earlier you know some of the, some of the tools and mechanisms by which I, I do that definitely mm. as I said I cut out alcohol but I've really discovered the benefits of um, CBD so CBD oil CBD mm -hmm. products, which do not contain any THC, like uh, cannabis. They're not cannabis. They're, they're made from hemp. And actually, they have a calming influence. And they're like natural calmers. Now, I, as I said, I've not been on antidepressants for seven plus years or something. Um, and I won't show you the products that I'm using at the moment. But in Holland and Barrett, they have a CBD oil, which I've been using for the last three years. There's also some effervescent drinks that you can get in in Holland and Barrett that contains CBD. And I have one of them most evenings, either watching TV or um, sat in- oh, There's in, a lot of mention my, of Hol Holland and Barrett here, isn't there, Stu? Have you got a discount code with them, Adam, that we can get on you? you <laughs> I've got to... that rewards for life number. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, should put that, I should put that in there. But, but yeah, you know if you what? use Terry... this code- <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's, he's become an influencer now. He's going to be, yeah, shipping out Holland They've got some and amazing Barrett. Oh, why? Oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> but but honestly those are the things that calm me and give me restful sleep and and i think that's really important that when you get to bed your brain isn't still going because i've been that person i've been the person that's overthinking and been awake at three in the morning with insomnia and i can't be that person because i can't function if i do that so i have to get restful sleep and when i when my head hits the pillow i sleep and that's what the cbd definitely does for me it gives me restful sleep allows my muscles to recharge and there is science behind it you know, the endocannabinoid system, which we're just learning more and more about, that, that really tones down many of those stresses that we experience in our body. It turns down many of the, um, the you know, the, the hormones that, that we experience that give us those great peaks and troughs of anxiety and depression. Yeah. I just find that's what's working for me, and it's been working a long time now, so I won't be stopping doing that anytime soon. Fantastic. Well, look, as, as I said at the beginning of the show, Adam, thanks so much for coming on and sharing what is a, a very personal kind of journey of, of your own and, and opening up about it. I, I don't think that there, there isn't many people that are, are happy to do that. And I think just yourself um, doing that and Stu doing it recently, I think will hopefully allow others to kind of just speak up, you know, whether it's to friends, colleagues, to their, their GP, whatever it is. 
um, take on board the advice um, that you have both sort of been sharing. Uh, but look, before we do finish up, um, as you know all too well, we do like to finish the show with um, a quick fire question round. So I'll, I'll kick us off as always. Um, and that is, look, given what you know now, what would you have said to yourself at the time? Because what was going through your head, I don't know. But yeah, now you've had time to reflect. Oh my goodness me! I think I think the signals were there early for me, as I as I said to you. You know, the the moment at which everything came to a head, there was no rational thinking. I hope that never happens to anyone else, mm. because it was an out of body experience for me I couldn't have seen it or foreseen it but I was definitely very thinly spread so you know I would I if I spoke now to myself then I had too much going on it was as simple as that I just needed to wipe out a few days of my diary calm down do a little bit less enjoy a little bit more and mm -hmm. uh you know ha have less structure and more fun fun is important and nature is important and it was all a bit too structured and staccato and planned and formulaic and that's where creativity goes and you just become very rigid and tense and there's no movement and no flexibility the flexibility and the movement i'm doing it now with my hands yeah. is where change happens and where good things happen you know it's I all like about that. Just flexing slow down have fun live yeah. your life not yeah. just a corporate world don't of, just of keep BS. ticking the ticking the boxes exactly mm. ticking yeah. boxes doesn't get doesn't make you happy it's not going to make you happy. So, uh, Adam, what's your favourite book? And I'm asking this not because um, it is your go-to book because of mental health issues, but it's your go-to book because it's your safe place, maybe? I love that. Great question. Well, to be honest, I have a favourite author, and he lives locally. He's called Matt Haig, and he's written a number of very great books on mental health, um, How to Stop Time, um, but my favorite one of his is the Midnight Library. I mean, it was the bestseller last year. It was a transformative book for me because that guy understands mental health from the inside. He's had his own challenges and he writes in such a way that is so descriptive and so perfectly written and structured that he knows what my, what my brain is thinking. When I read it, it's like I wrote it. And he finds somewhere extraordinary. And, and that's, you know, anything by Matt Haig, to be honest, I don't really care. He's just amazing. But there's so many self-help books out there. And the other thing is, you know, one of my favorite podcasts that I talk about a lot is called um, How to Fail by Elizabeth Day. And she talks to people about their three biggest failures. Yeah. And I learn so much from people's failures because I've made so many. Yeah. And if you don't learn from other people, well, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? This, this woman asked the right questions in the right way with the right level of humility yeah. I love her voice. I love her questions and I love the discussions that happen. I've spoken to so many people about her manner and how she goes about that. And it's so insightful. These are people, you know, that are in, invariably in the public eye who you have a perception of who are really, really real underneath the bonnet, like me today, you know, sharing their personal stories of failure and how they turned failure into success. And let's yeah. be honest, success is failure turned inside out. That's a, a mantra I've had for a very, very long time, and it helps. Yes, yes. Perfect, perfect. I like it. I did not know that Matt Haig was local to you, so I've learned something new today. That's all, always good. Um, but for, for the next question, um, Adam, uh, what, is, what is your number one go-to stress relief? So it used to be antidepressants. It isn't anymore. It's CBD oil. Anything CBD related is my go-to for stress relief or fresh air, or nature, or turning off technology, God forbid. You know, we are so overwhelmed with technology that it's just firing our neurons all the time. Mm -hmm. And what I find is switch off the tech, go for a walk, get some fresh air, have a nice little effervescent CBD drink, and uh, you'll be just calm. Fantastic stuff. So quick question uh, before we end. What would your advice be to the the family of those like yourself or myself well 
they have a really tough job let's be frank you know they do living living with someone who who has experienced this or is experiencing this is not an easy place to be you know families can be a very challenging place to be when people are less than 100 percent. and invariably you see the reality of people in your family unit that you would never see outside of your four walls we all know this to be true whether it's in your relationships with your partner or your kids or anyone you know within your own four walls it's completely different so you know as a family we always eat together we eat and talk together and whether that's just a, you know a, a simple meal we, we sit and we talk around a meal and it doesn't always go well <laughs> sometimes we argue over a meal and sometimes it doesn't go great but we always eat and talk together and that's our safe space where we sit and talk how was your day I say to my daughter how was your day my son and my wife as well and we will all share our stories of the day and we, we will collect together around that safe space there's no judgment it's just eating and we do the same and we you know we always have a roast on a Sunday I mean I say always for, for those people outside of the UK I, we are a cliche you know we love a roast <laughs> on a Sunday and I love to cook a roast I will spend three hours happily cooking a roast dinner so that we can sit around it and devour it in about five minutes but I just love the whole process of that and that's what grounds me is those regular things that punctuate your week and you know dare I say it during the last couple of years of COVID it's been very difficult to have structure and function and punctuate with actual points of reference and that's something that we've managed to maintain I think and we will continue to do that but you know we have our best conversations and our worst conversations over dinners usually. I like it I mean I can see now Adam why you perhaps liked um atomic habits because there's certain habits and anchor points in your life aren't they that now totally. set the tone for, for what you do whether the anchor is something active on the work front or whether it's actually to relax and switch off so all totally. very no, it's, it, it resonated so loudly with me i cannot tell you so it's an amazing book and again like i mentioned about the matt haig books it's a, it's a book that i felt i when i read it it could have been my words not that mm. i not that I could have done it as well, but you know, the fact is there are plenty of people out there who've written books and shared their experiences. One day I may do the same. You know, a couple of people have mentioned to me that maybe my story is worth putting down in writing and, and perhaps I will when, when the time is right. We've all got a book in us, by the way. Stuart, I'm including you in that. James, I'm including you yeah. in that. Yeah. Everyone's got a book in them. Well, it's whatever we choose it to be. So, you know, there's no limit to what any of us is capable of achieving both with and without mental health, mental illness. The only boundaries we set are on ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Amen, amen. Well, look, with that in mind, Adam, look, um, we will look forward to that book. But for now, I do appreciate you jumping on to share your story with us on the podcast here. So look, thanks again for sharing everything that you have uh, today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you both so much for the opportunity. Cheers.